Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Empower a Podcast. This is episode 25. What is the Empower a Podcast? It's a podcast run by healthcare professionals for healthcare professionals with an overall goal of continuing to raise transparency and awareness within the healthcare field and with a continuing goal to have legislation passed in the state of Colorado and throughout the United States and the world mandating employers to provide and support employee wellness programs through, as an example, through a minimum of eight wellness days for all healthcare professionals per quarter, a minimum deposit of $2,000 in an HSA account per quarter that is tax exempt at the federal, state, and local levels, and the establishment of an anti-retaliation department that is run by a third party for all healthcare systems that participate in being able to give back to those that we call human. At Empower, we believe to con- in the power of community, diversity, and inclusivity to create positive change and improve society. Our goal continues to aim to amplify those voices that often go unheard, featuring interviews with individuals and organizations who are making a difference in their community and beyond. Through thought-provoking conversations and inspiring stories in whatever way they come out, we continue to strive to raise that awareness and promote action. So join us as we continue to explore new perspectives and challenge assumptions and continue to work to creating a brighter future for all. All right. And if you haven't, I wanted to start off, we do have a Ko-Fi. If you'd like to go ahead, there'll be a link down uh, underneath. And if you haven't already followed us, go ahead and hit the bell icon in any way, shape, or form and follow us so you can stay up to date uh, with Empower as it is. Today, we have our guest, Kay. Hi, Kay. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Brad. Thank you very much for inviting me over as well. Oh, my gosh. I've been seeing you on LinkedIn like for like the last month and a half. And I was like, I'm going to shoot out a bold request to Kay. So <laughs> that's what happened. Where, <laughs> and where are you coming to us from, Kay? Um, I'm here in Northeast Coast. Uh, most in private or mostly in the uh, Maryland, New Jersey, New York area. Um, but right now, currently in Baltimore. All right. Wow. We encourage our listeners, if they would like to share anonymously or unanonymously, it's up to you. If you are interested, please email us at the Empower email. That's empowera1 at proton.me. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, YouTube, Rumble, and Substack and beyond. You'd be surprised. All right, everybody. It's time to sit back, be yourself no matter what, and get ready to be empowered. All right, Kay, this is the part of the show where we give a big community thank you to all the members, whatever way, shape, or form they may be for anybody in the workforce that's truly made a difference in your life. Is there anybody you'd like to give a shout out to? Yes, I'd like to give a shout out to my uh, Lefora Filipino Nurses Network. It's a big um, community for Filipino nurses coming to the United States as well as uh, the workforce coming going around the world, actually. And thank you for all the travel nurses, contract nurses, um, who've supported me for many years that I, I'm making sense in what I'm saying <laughs> and believing in me. So that's the most important part there is thank you for anybody who trusted me and and the people and of course my managers who have supported my growth through this journey of travel nursing. Wow. You know, I pick a time in the show where I ask myself this, does this guest make you feel empowered? And for your shout out, even to go up to management, that goes to show that you've you've been surrounded by what I call like proper management, you know, people who are really there and available and not clipping. So you make me feel empowered, Kay. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, definitely. Every Everybody learns from each other. Mm-hmm. I always think that. That's it, right? And the moment you think that you can't learn anymore, 
please don't come to me. I'll just say hello and goodbye to you. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. So uh, we're going to see if we can visit the integrity of healthcare for you. Okay. What does that look like for you? The integrity of healthcare right now is somewhat and a little bit uh, confusing. I'll be honest with you. Mm -hmm. The way I see that a lot of um, healthcare hospitals right now are are run by investment firms, um, and that is getting me a little bit worried because I don't know where we're heading right now. Um, it's a mix of you know ethical professionals on on the front front line, and then we have also you know, finance people running the place. It's a little bit on a, I think, challenging situation to understand how we're going to fix this. Yeah, no, and totally. And I guess it is to look at who is really uh, calling the shots, I guess we have to say, but it depends on, I guess, perspective for me as to who's calling the shots, because I feel like healthcare professionals in general, uh, I mean, COVID kind of turned it up and made it what it was. But we've been throughout time having our own voice coming, but it's been a coming and going kind of voice. And I feel we're at that moment where it's, it's more of a stand now. And it may be a stand still to the point where it's maybe a stand still on both sides. But yeah, no, I guess it is. Yeah, look to those who are running it, you know, look to that and to see that and what comes out of that. So in regards to the integrity now, I was going to ask you what in your opinion, and again, you can come on here multiple times, anybody can, but at this time, what in your opinion is happening in healthcare? Okay. Obviously, the healthcare direction right now is we need to have sustainable business. Healthcare in the United States is a business, and everybody realized that during the pandemic that anybody in healthcare can be responsible at any time. It's not for job security anymore that you're a nurse, you're going to have the job forever, right? So it comes to a point that healthcare is in a financial situation to choose between sustainability or profitability or ethical. I, I do believe that it can be done both ways, can be profitable and ethical at the same time. But majority of the people, like you said, calling the shots are more on the profitability. I think it's, I think it's a factor there that they want to grow and they want to you know, invest on things just beyond healthcare, which is sometimes necessary for business sustainability. But doing it without understanding the end is very dangerous, in my opinion. And I think there's a big responsibility on the part of the nursing leadership to understand and create a balance between the two, you know, ethical and profitability for growth and sustainability. So that's where a lot of our, um, a lot of healthcare leadership is having challenges in in navigating this very complex world of healthcare in a capitalist country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, no, we're lacking educators. That's the main thing here. We don't have educators to support the growth of the nurses. Um, we don't have enough educators to support the clinical transition of new nurses going to you know. Their, from their novice to expert, so we're lacking those in, key ingredients for successful nursing professional. I think what I've recently heard is we got a hundred million, from, you know, budget from the government that will pump this education, which is great, but we still have one big problem: retention. We do have many, many factors that's involving this footage, and we have to address all of it. It's not just 
one, we cannot address two, but we have to address all of it and never take things for granted. I think that's the most important thing that people are saying. There's no educator. Oh, there's no nurse. Oh, there's shortage of supply. Oh, there is a supply. But there is a tug of war in between who's saying the truth. Well, the truth is all of those are valid problems and mm -hmm. we need to address all of them. It's like a person saying, hey, I have a problem with money. I'm broke. Okay. Um, one factor to increase that or to fix that is to increase your salary. But if you don't understand your expenses too, even though you're earning $2 million, you can still be broke. So that is what's happening right now. We do have an issue with the supply of nurses on the area that is like rural areas where there's low paying nurses. Um, in those areas, so there's migration. These nurses will go to a high-paying state, which is very normal for survivability. And we have foreign nurses who is supplying those areas. So those are needed. But how about the retention? You know, we have problem with education. We don't have. We're not building quality newbies, and the newbies are being eaten alive <laughs> when they arrive in the hospital to exit as fast as we can, realizing that, you know, nursing is not for them. But actually, it's not that. It's just they landed on the wrong hands and they were not guided properly. So I think the expectation of new grads also will have an impact. Why they leave the profession so quick? They feel like they will be supported after graduation, but then they ended up on those facilities without enough support. So right. I feel like those are the multi-factors that we really need to address. Right. And then I guess for me, even to that, I, I, I know I graduated in 20, December of six, 2016. So I got kind of an intro a little bit into the healthcare field. And then right before COVID, it, I started travel. So I had like a good cushion probably period of like, what was it? Seven months. And then I went to my next assignment and then that's when COVID started. So it was very interesting to see that overall transition for me because I had that. And what you're talking about is, you know, at least what I'm getting from it is the ability of the student to transition, not only from being a student, and I, I'm saying transition because there's another part I want to get to, is the transition from being a student to being a staff healthcare professional, but then also seeing the overall ability, if they do have what it is you're talking about, where they don't feel like it's the profession for them to have that support from the employer or from the educational system to give them those proper tools to help transition, especially in, in, in you know, a, a pandemic is something that came out of, you know, living and being in this overall ecosystem in any way, shape or form that it may happen. We could be here for years talking about, you know, what happened and how it started, but moving forward and seeing that overall impact that it had and the upset in multiple industries and seeing for me, it, and what's one of the reasons why I started this uh, overall podcast was the patient experience. Because the overall impact of the comfortability of the healthcare professional, their ability to be supported um, by the employer, their ability to transition in or transition out, or even train and have time to train now, to sit down and actually have an adequate orientation period, even for travel nurses, you know, that makes an overall impact on the patient experience in general, I feel. I agree with that. It, it, the victim here is the the patient. If we don't correct this, we're going to be ending up paying so much money for health insurance for And we also are the consumer eventually later on. 
hopefully they are not right now. But we will suffer. If we don't fix this right now, everybody will suffer. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm glad you said what you said too, because uh, I'm in the middle of an interview journey right now. It's been almost a month. I just got a call back uh, from him, but I missed it because I was in another interview. So I like texted back, but I listened to the voicemail and what I was quoted in Northeast Ohio was I had asked for more than what they were originally asking. They gave me this term, it's called super per diem. And what they said was a certain rate about two or three weeks ago. And it was, they didn't say the duration of what the per diem is, like if it's once a month, two times a month, what the frequency is. But when they got back with me today, I was told that the rate had gone up, but they were asking for me to work two times a week as super per diem. And I mean, I, I, I have worked and thankfully I did before they retired. I worked with some OG nurses and they're still out there. Those original nurses who know the way PRN used to be and they can help clear it up. And it used to be sometimes it was, you know, once every six months. That was prior to COVID. Then during COVID, I knew some nurses who were, they'd almost gone a whole year, almost a whole year with a PRN job. And I'm getting quoted this PRN job now. And it's interesting to see that distinction that it's twice a week. Whereas I used to know this term called part-time and PRN used to be a part of part-time, but <laughs> it was separate from part-time. It was like with registry. And now it's almost as if they're trying to combine them all for overall, like you mentioned earlier too, profitability. And I, and I get it. Is that efficient? If it were my money? Absolutely. I could totally see that. But at the same time too, it's efficient for one or for a specific group versus the overall what's happening. I mean, there's more statistics that are coming out for the shortages of, and this is just nurses of healthcare professionals. There's still registry. There's still environmental. There's still nursing assistants. There's still lab techs, you know, but this was uh, the one I had just seen. They're predicting by 2024, 700,000 nurses leaving the bedside and leaving healthcare. And they're saying 200,000. This was a, and I said it in a prior episode too. It was a Senate hearing with uh, Dr. Hip, or excuse me. Uh, Hickenlooper, Senator Hickenlooper and Senator Braun, Indiana and of Colorado, and their projections in the first 10 minutes, because it was a dry interview, or excuse me, a dry Senate meeting, was that there'll be a projected 200,000 nurses uh, leaving the bedside per year as of 2030. And when I went into that interview originally, before this whole super per diem came out and the clarification on all of it, I was in the room, the director of nursing was to my left, across the... Uh, desk was the administrator. And I had said to them, once they quoted me what it was, I said, listen, like I've, I've been back here. I was with you guys. I came in, this was one of my first jobs right after I didn't want to be an ER nurse. And uh, now this is the offer that I get. And I was like, is that honestly the best you can do? And the first response was from the administration, excuse me, administrator saying, I'm having a moment, saying, <laughs> saying, haven't you, have you spoke to corporate here? Do you not know what it, how, what it takes to be able to get these things done and whatnot? And I'm like, no, but I hope that they would know. And that's when I said the whole 200,000 nurses a year as of 2030. And, and they said to me, this was their initial response. This was it. Well, I don't have to worry about that because I won't be a patient here. And like you had even said earlier too, was we, we will all have our time. I tell it to so many patients, especially the grumpy ones, especially the grumpy ones, because I think it helps me bond with them that I'm a human, you know, just like them. So I will have my time too. But when they had responded, well, it won't be me. I said, you know what? You're right. Here at this facility, it may not be you.
But in any any other health system that you may go to, the overall your overall patient experience will be as the influence of what it is we're potentially doing here right now. And I stood and they did. At least they gave me a counteroffer. I'll give them that. They gave me a counteroffer. I asked for a counteroffer. That's great. But their counteroffer, a no is just a no. And that's pretty much what I think it's going to come down to you for that and just clarify. But what did you get out of that after I shared? Because that was a lot for me. Like, this has happened today and I'm still yeah. fresh with it. And like, Exactly. So a lot of people don't understand what are they doing right now, selling the, the quality care. And actually, it will be back and hunting everybody here. Um, when I've been confronted by a recruiter or staffing company that has been a little bit, you know, not on the ethical or professional level, and they throw me things that are very, I don't think it's unacceptable to say to a nurse. My always answer to them is, you have to remember, it's going to be you on that bed next time. And if this is how you're trying to treat nurses, then you will be getting that same quality, I mean, poor care eventually. And they would just like hang up. <laughs> it is. They are ha actually, it will help. I mean, it will hurt everybody. I have seen nursing leadership who's really of profit. And those, they didn't realize that their parents later on will be on that position. And, and, they were so upset when the parents will not get the good quality. I think, well, it goes back around. <laughs> if you don't fix this right now, it will hurt you and me, regardless of your loyalty with your company, loyalty with your hospital, loyalty with money. But you and me will be the consumers at the end, all of us. Mm -hmm. So you have to be really careful of what your decisions are and, and really and how you treat the nurses. I feel too, the way you treat your nurses and that leads to the overall experience, it goes to show, I feel like how they treat the community because that's honestly who it is they're taking for. That's who's walking mm -hmm. in their door to be their patient is their local community. And people can continue as consumers to have that voice, to speak up. I've had, and I, I don't doubt you have, those patients that are like, you know, you guys are undervalued, you know, like you guys deserve more like this is, this is, and they know, even they're knowing. Like, and they're getting the feedback cards. Yeah. Is there a spot on the feedback card that says, is your nurse getting enough? I don't know. <laughs> like, or is your nurse being appreciated enough? Like, I, I feel like they have an answer and they would love to share it. But yeah. Wow. Is there it, any? It, it is. Um, it's very sad. But I always tell people, um, you know, nurses are not the greediest people on earth. We all know that, you know, we're not going to be billionaires in nursing <laughs> mm -hmm. we know that for sure we're not the people who understand that hey you're not gonna get your lamborghini and right? <laughs> i can't have my rolls royce are you serious or my 1965 jaguar roadster <laughs> i can't have that i can't post about it on travel gypsy nurse or any of right? that <laughs> <laughs> we know that we're this is not the lifestyle that will get us there this is not the career path will let us there but we went to nursing because of something beyond those. But we also need to be compensated in a livelihood, you know, in a liv livable salary. At the same time, the cost of education to nursing and the risk should be also compensated proportionally. I don't think a high-risk profession that takes a board nursing, you know, takes a board, a four-year degree, two-year degree, with high malpractice risk, should be paid less than somebody who's going to flip a burger. Yeah. So there is very huge, um, you know, in, in proportion of 
the salary and the risk and the cost and the time involved in studying. It, it doesn't make sense. And I think that's one reason why there's low low entry, you know, enroll is nursing too because of that factor. But we did not, you know, we understand that this is not your multi-million career path, right? But this is, we just, we're just asking for something that is reasonable in amount that will be reasonable to pay that student loans. There's no reason you will have 50,000 student loan when that's your salary already. Yeah, that's like your <laughs> life for like the next 10, 10 years potentially, especially if someone's trying to literally carry out whatever their dream is in life. It, if it, when whatever it looks like, if they want to find their own real estate, if they want to start their own business, like, and people are getting interested, like healthcare professionals, they may be wanting to leave. And at the same time, I'm seeing this distinction. They want to have their own business. Yeah. They want to do this, you know, and, and that's good. Yeah. Look, look for support with yeah. that. Like that's showing you're using just beyond the bedside. And sometimes maybe employers just want you to be there as a workhound and that's it. Work, 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 yeah. but all work and, and no play and no self-expression. I think it makes, it does, it has an impact. The body keeps count. I've said it before and it doesn't matter where you come from. The body keeps count. The mind yeah. keeps count. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I would like to add one more thing there. And add I, whatever I think, you I want. I strongly Kate. believe that, um, that, that academic hospitals or hospitals that really pursue quality education for care, that's really pushing it up. I hope the government will give them incentive to, to be profitable and sustainable. And that's, I think, one thing that's very important here that people have to understand that not all market organization hospital or, 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 you know, those facilities are doing what they're supposed to be doing now. I think there should be stricter rules or there be rewards be given to those hospitals who would really push for, you know, research on good quality care, you know, advance the nursing career or profession, advance healthcare delivery. I think there should be more incentive for them in terms of let's like, say tax break or any any reward and should not be treated equally the same when it comes to reimbursement um together with other hospitals who's not pursuing those quality care right i, I strongly believe that it, this should this should be you know looked at by the government who's really pushing for quality care because you know a lot if you look at if you step away and you look at an international setup People really go to America because of quality care, quality education in healthcare. If we take that away from, from America, United States of America, mm -hmm. you take away the power of America, USA. Yeah, you're right. A lot of people yeah. come here to be trained for great quality of healthcare. If you take that away, you're taking away one of the powerful things America has. And America should protect that. Wow. That's, yeah, the world should too. And be able to have that influence of all of us together. But you're exactly right. That is, I'll never forget right before I took the NCLEX, because I didn't pass the first time. I'm not the best. But you know what? I've been told it's not the test. It's the nurse. So I've moved forward with that. And I've, I've made peace with that. But I was, it was shared to me. I just lost, I totally just lost what it was I was going to say. Hold on. Where were we? <laughs> We were on, oh, oh, that's it. I got it. I got it. In my review course, um, her name is Renee Bushta. The class is no longer around. One of the best review NCLEX review courses ever. But she had even had uh, a patient um, at the Cleveland Clinic and they had come, like you had said, from another country. They'd come from the Middle East over here. They legitimately, they did have 
a Ferrari or it was a Lamborghini, whichever one it was. And they actually tried to sell it to her because she was a nice nurse. They were like, we like the way you took care of us at the bedside because they couldn't take it with them. They had to leave it here. So legitimately, because they were from another country, but they wanted to have a way to get around. But you're right. People do come here for that. And it, for me, the one thing I'm seeing too is, and it'd be interesting to see how this pans out through this overall journey that we're in too, is the introduction of preventative medicine and more of that. Because I feel, you know, historically from what I've seen, that's been more of the Eastern side. And the Western side has been more remediation. When things are really, really bad, we're pretty good at trying to get people level and whatnot. And to have those both be at least in tandem, even if it's an ever teetering scale, oh my goodness, what could come out of that? And, and what could cause yep. that could be better attention to your overall healthcare professionals and their wellness. Because, I mean, that's one of the other reasons why I started Empower, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, is healthcare professionals were two to three times more <laughs> likely to abuse drugs and alcohol than the general public. And it's it's interesting to see that out of that, I feel like that's one way of people's dealing for their overall wellness. You know, I've, I've been on shift for people like, can't wait to go home to have this, can't get to have a beer. You know, can't wait to go home. And I'm from, I live in, I'm a resident of Colorado at the moment, but like, I can't wait to go home and, you know, have my therapeutic uh, marijuana session, if that's what they wanted to be able to do for that or whatever it may be, whether it's recreational. I'm trying to intermingle all these because it could look like this. I mean, some of, I was looking at a recent statistic. This is if somebody wants to go into this area, but um, there are some natural substances that are cheaper than current pharmaceuticals out here right now. And I, I've run into patients, even when I was in Colorado, regardless of the policy of the facility, and it said no marijuana in any way, shape, or form, they still had, they found a way to get it in there. And they were legitimately doing it. They got sleep. They reported their outcomes to their nurse. And then the nurse, of course, after they finally did report, the outcomes had to report it because they were in direct violation. So it's like this intermediate of, okay, well, good, that's inpatient. And that's, I don't know, it's just the discussion to see how those all, because it does, I feel like, I mean, historically, Certain plants came from certain other parts of the world, not here in the United States. So like, and now they're all over the place. So it'd be interesting to see that because, I mean, I've administered one plant already, and then whether it was an analog or it was its natural, and that was the poppy plant. So just saying, <laughs> throw that out there. But no, it would be interesting to see that overall uh, combining of that. And because it is, we're all, we are relying on our, all each other. There's, it's, it's one world, you know, it's, it's not an island. Yep. Yep. It's one world. So, wow. And in the Philippines, I think they have seven or 8,000 islands. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have so much of it. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, I guess for me, is there any empowering pieces of advice at this moment, Kay, that you would like to give to someone looking to going into the line of work that you're in in nursing? They can include questions to ask prior to employment, things to look okay. for in the job nowadays, anything. Right. Um, well, I get only piece of advice that I will say to anybody, you know, especially nursing. Nobody will advocate for yourself except yourself. If the nursing is crumbling down, the only people who can really save that is nurses themselves. You cannot rely your administrator who are not. You can help them. You can use them to help you. But you can never fully rely on anybody else. You will be your own advocate for yourself. And if the nurses, if, you know, the nursing profession is dying, we will have to do it on ourselves and, and, and work together to put it back. You know, the, the president's not going to help us. <laughs> they can probably supply us with what 
the finance people can probably supply us with what we know. But if we are still the captain of our own ship, and I think we should never give away that ability to gear the nursing profession into a, you know, not a not ethical profession. I think we we should be gearing still towards ethical, and then supply yourself with financial knowledge, because no one will advocate for ourselves except ourselves own self. Yeah, you're right, and you can't honestly help. And this is the same thing too, I guess. When it comes down, it reminds me of how you triage in one of the most difficult or uh, harmful situations. First, you have to observe the situation because you have to first make sure that things yeah. are safe for you before you can help another. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how those exactly. all all intermingle, yeah. whether it's normal life or it's an emergency situation. Yeah. Wow. That was definitely empowering. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, is there, uh, I guess, anything else you'd like to include on today's episode? This was a very enjoyable one. And uh, again, everybody, this is Kay. And you and you came to us again from? Maryland. Maryland. All right. Well, Air 5 all the way. I'm in Ohio now, so Air 5 to you. <laughs> <laughs> Air 5, yeah. All right, everyone. This has been episode 25. Thank you so much, Kay. We're going to sign off now. All right. Thanks, Brett. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.